My name is Vivian. I'm pastor over the anchor here at City Point, which is our 60 plus group. We meet the second Saturday anchor people. Amen. And we are refired and on fire. So if you need some fire, come to the anchor. Okay? You got it. You got it. You got it. Okay, I want you all just for a moment. We just talked about rain, saying about the rain. Are you ready for the rain from heaven to fall? It's going to fall afresh upon this earth. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. No sounds in the room. And begin snapping your fingers. Do you hear the rain? It's beginning to fall. We are in the early stages of that rain, and it's going to fill this earth. Amen. Well, we have been in a series that is entitled, I Am a Disciple of Jesus. Can you say that with me? I am a disciple of Jesus. Amen. And yes, and amen, you are. Well, back the first part of February, Pastor Aaron spoke to us on a lifestyle of obedience. How many of you find obedience can be difficult sometimes? Amen. And he talked about Jesus asking Peter to use his boat after he'd been out in the water all night. The guy's tired and God didn't cut him any slack. And Jesus said, hey, Come here, I want you to use your vote. And out of an act of obedience and love, he said yes. And then the next week, he talked about what is a disciple. And he shared about Jesus' goal to be about the Father's business. But you know what happened? Jesus knew his time was limited, that he had to raise up a team that he would send out. And so in that process... With his 12, he equipped them and then sent them out with a command saying, go and make disciples. And then last week, there was this crazy guy up here named Pastor Rick. <laughs> He's here. I can pick on him. Um, and he talked to us about counterfeit Christianity. I loved it. Don't you love the counterfeit, the fake? It's all over the place. But he said a true disciple of Jesus is marked, is marked by genuine surrender and obedience. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Do you get the picture what's going here? And so um, it's a choice to relinquish control. It isn't something you have to do. So if you want to be controlling, you're going to be controlling until you make the choice to relinquish it and walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you here today, the Lord showed me as I was preparing this, that some of you are at crossroads and you're asking, is this the right time? You have a question about time in your heart. Some of you are asking, what is the will of God in my life? Am I on course? I, I don't know for sure what I should be doing. And then there's some of you here that are facing some life issues. You have some obstacles and roadblocks in your life. And Thursday in prayer, Rod cut loose. He was here by divine assignment with a prayer against walls. And we prayed into walls, pushing them back. It was powerful truth. Um, and I think uh, someone has just talked about the, the, was that you that talked about the train? 
you can, if the train's moving quick, it can push through those walls. But if it's stopped and just has a little one-inch block there in the wheel, it can't go. It won't start. So we need to be running with Jesus and hit those walls and bring them down. Helen Keller says, the way forward is simple. Just follow Jesus. It's simple, but it's sure not easy. It requires, from those last messages that have just been brought the last three weeks, obedience, love, relationship, and surrender. That's the way forward. Discipleship is a way of life. It's a call to follow Jesus. That requires communication, and some people are better at communicating than others. If you ask husbands and wives, you'll always hear them talk about the communication. One doesn't hear very well. And, you know, and, and sometimes, have you ever tried to be in on a conversation and nobody's listening to you, but they're all busy talking? And you wonder, do I even matter that I'm here in this circle right now? Some people don't communicate as well. Prayer is our means of communicating with God. And it also requires that we listen for his guidance, for his leading, for his direction, and his correction. Just because you hear the voice of God, it's not always a smooth stroke. Sometimes he brings correction into our lives, and that's why we need to hear his voice. Mark 1, 16 to 18 says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out for fish, for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus called all 12 of his disciples. He physically called them. It was a call for discipleship where he would impart into their lives for the next three years that he walked on the earth. I love Gail Ellis. She taught me something here a few years back, maybe a couple years ago. There's three, let's see, he implemented the principle she taught me. It's called LOL. Have you ever heard of LOL principle? Listen, observe, learn. For three years, they were discipled. They were to listen, observe, and learn during that time. And so they were positioned. Come follow me. These are three words that changed not only the 12 disciples' lives, but they changed the world. Are we ready to come follow him and change the world? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you right now that you have called us out of the place of comfort, the place where we have walked, and you are calling us into a deeper place with you. You are calling us, Lord God, to search our hearts, to stretch our boundaries where we have been, and Lord God, to release your kingdom in a greater measure upon this earth. Because, Lord, we are called to be world changers. We will not allow this earth, Lord, to be given over to the enemy to devour, but, Lord, we have been equipped from on high to do the work that you have called us to. So, Father, I ask right now that you give your people ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of God is saying, raise them up as they hear 
the rain coming in Jesus' name. Today, the message is simply called prayer and intimacy. No fancy words, nothing to entice anyone. And some people won't like it and they'll turn it off immediately because it sounds boring. Can I tell you, it's probably one of the most exciting things you'll ever experience in this world. There is nothing like talking with our Lord. In the last um, before I go there, let's see. One of the things um, that are on the new t-shirts and sweatshirts that are out here, the opening sentence, I resolve to live a life of extreme devotion to my Lord. That's only the start of it. Are you resolved? This is the year of, of our resolve here at City Point. Are you resolved? In the last 23 years, 40 million have walked away from Christianity and became involved in other churches and or atheism, according to the Barnum, Barna report. That's a large number. That should concern us. That should cause us to wonder what's going on. I thought of the Israelites when I heard that, and I thought about them after they left Egypt. They got to wandering out in the wilderness, and they began complaining, murmuring, grumbling. They wanted to go back to what they thought was more comfortable. They wanted to go backwards and to turn around and stop following God in pursuing their promise. They were willing to lay down their pursuit of God to go back to comfort. What is with that? Do we do the same thing? Is is that why that many have left? Then I thought of Matthew 24, 24, and it says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise, and they will show great signs and wonders so as to deceive and lead astray, if possible, even the elect, God's chosen ones. You are God's chosen ones. Do not be deceived by the tactics and deception of the enemy. He is a liar, and he is trying to plant seeds within your heart that you don't matter. They don't want you there. He lies to you. He tells you things to get you to walk away. When Jesus said, come follow me, he initiated the relationship. He discipled those who followed him. And we are to do the same. We are to initiate the relationship and then disciple those that follow us. If you've been attending City Point for any amount of time, you've already heard who are you discipling and who's discipling you. Discipling is sharing your walk with the Lord thus far. Some people say, well, I'm not that far in my walk. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're ready to disciple somebody that doesn't. There is no excuse not to be discipling. You are called to disciple. Find out where I am. <laughs> discipling is sharing your walk. He said, come follow me change the world. That's his call to us today. Change the world. The first point today is the power of prayer and intimacy. There are approximately 650 prayers in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible records 25 different times where Jesus prayed 
during his earthly ministry. He prayed publicly and he often went off alone to pray as we've read. He sought the Father's will and Jesus always did what he heard his Father say. He was very intentional. He was very focused. I'm sure that Jesus grew up in a home where they prayed. I'm sure he learned to pray at a young age, but it does not say that. But in our heart, we know that he did. But the first time scripture refers to Jesus praying is at his baptism when he was 30 years old. In Luke 3, 21 to 22, it says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said you are my beloved son in you I am well pleased it was while he prayed while he prayed the heavens opened are you praying so the heavens can open while he prayed the Holy Spirit descended as a dove while he prayed the voice from heaven spoke Sounds like Pentecost to me. I don't know about you, but I think Jesus had an early Pentecost all by himself there. Three times the Father bore witness of the Son, and each time he did, Jesus had or was praying. It was through prayer that Jesus was called, it was through prayer that Jesus so chose his disciples. It was through prayer that Jesus went to the cross. Interestingly, the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them how to preach, to study, or do anything like that. But they asked him, teach us to pray. They had observed Jesus's prayer life. They saw something in Jesus that they didn't have and they wanted it. They knew it was important. Smith Wigglesworth says, if you seek nothing but the will of God, he will always put you in the right place at the right time. God desires to see something deeper come out of our prayer time. Yes, he wants to answer our prayers, but he also wants us to become like him. So he allows things in our life that are character forming. You see, sometimes we begin to walk through difficulties and situations, and we know it's the enemy. It couldn't be God trying to change us. So we start blaming the enemy, or we start blaming somebody else, or we start making excuses why something's going on in our life when it's God in our life trying to change our heart to make us like Christ so he can take us to the next level. We have settled at this level. How many are going to leave this earth at this level when God said, I wanted you at this level, but you see you settled here because you didn't want to go where I wanted you to go. You didn't want to deal with your heart issues. You were satisfied going in circles right where you are. It's time, body, to wake up. It's time to follow Jesus. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 18 to 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling to which he is calling you. The hope of his calling to which he is calling you. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, there is power accompanying your life that is greater than great. In this last scripture, it says it's surpassing greatness of his power. Some translations say immeasurable greatness of his power. It's not our human power, but actually it's strength of his might working through us. We cannot claim it. It is him in us. Do not take credit. He alone gets the glory for what happens. And that's what the disciples saw when Jesus prayed. They wanted to be like him. Think about it. The strength of God is attached to your prayer life. You wonder how much strength you have? How much are you praying? The more intimately you know him, the more you'll walk in his strength. Let me say that again. The more intimately you know him, the more you'll walk in his strength. Why? Because knowing him, thank you, knowing him leads to surrender because of love. If you know him, you love him. When you love him, you surrender everything to him. You don't want to hold on to anything. And I'll tell you right now, you know when you hit that place, because nothing else in this world will matter. Your whole insight, your heart, everything is changed. You're wrecked, totally abandoned for him. Christ crucified must have crucified followers. You have to die to self to walk in that power. The power in us is the same strength that God demonstrated when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It is called resurrection power. Sometimes we hear that term resurrection power and not everybody understands what it means. You know, as we grow in Christ, we begin to have words and we begin to talk a little bit Christianese, forgetting that not everybody's going to understand. But that's resurrection power. Our mission is to bring resurrection life into the situations that are dead around us. We are to bring resurrection life into this world, into our family, into our community. Is the resurrection power alive in you? Is it working? Is it, is it flowing? It's more than just raising somebody from the dead. They are dead and lost and going to hell. That is resurrection power. Right now, we are allowing things in this country that have no right to be here. Let's move in the resurrection power that God has entrusted to us. He says, follow me and change the world. Follow me and change the world. He's calling us. 
The devil will challenge you when you pray with distractions, with discouragement, and with intimidation. I know it's not comfortable, and a lot of people aren't comfortable when they go to pray, and they don't want to. When he... When the enemy does do that to you, remind him, though, of Ephesians 1, 20b through 23. It says that you are seated with Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Christ's authority is final. You have the final say if you are in Christ. But not only has the Father put all things in subjection under his feet, he made him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Point number two is surrender and persevere. What Christ, the head, has attained, the church, the feet, walk out. Intimacy is prayer that takes perseverance. Anybody, we can pray, but it takes deeper pressing in. You don't just pray a little bit and get in that intimate place. You keep on praying until you hit that place with him. Intimacy in prayer takes perseverance. You are as intimate with God as you choose to be. How intimate, how much of him do you desire? How badly do you want to burn with him? How much fire do you want? How much presence do you want to carry? It's your decision. God doesn't favor one person over another. But those that hunger and thirst after him will pursue him in a greater measure. And they keep pressing in. If you don't have it yet, ask him. And he will give it. He is the giver of good gifts. And that is the desire of his heart. It is a prayer that lines up with the word of God. And he will answer it. Our heart is awakened to spiritual things as we walk in obedience. Just like the disciples, prayer wasn't something that came naturally to them. They had to learn it. So do we. The enemy intimidates us. He makes us feel like we don't pray good enough. We aren't qualified. There's a lot of people that really are great. Lord, let them do it. Because, because he, the enemy knows that in the spirit, you are dangerous. He will do everything to keep you from praying because you are dangerous. You are a force to be reckoned with. You are called for such a time as this. The devil knows if he can keep your prayer silent, he keeps God's hand away. You see, your prayers move the hand of God. He wants to shut you up so that you don't release them because the enemy wants control of the earth. We can change the earth. We can change the world, but we're going to change it through prayer. That is a force that will release the hand of God to move. Not only does Satan intimidate, but he distracts you with life issues, with lies. And he wants you powerless. But Jesus said, come follow me and change the world. Whose voice are you going to listen to? The liar or the one that is speaking truth and power into your life? One wants to weaken you. One wants to strengthen you. And we are swayed back and forth. I don't care what your prayer sounds like. Release it. It's of God. It is not of your flesh. It is of your spirit. 
Luke 18, one to eight, one day Jesus taught the apostles to keep praying and never stop or lose hope, to lose heart, faint, or become discouraged. Very interesting start to those verses. But then when you get to verse eight, he says, but when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Be praying, be praying. Don't allow the enemy to cause you to grow weak. In an attempt to hinder the next move of God, Satan has sent forth an army of fault-finding demons against the church. Fault-finding demons. Instead of looking at Jesus, we look at the imperfections in one another. The fault-finding spirits assignment is to assault relationships on all levels. He is out after the church. He is out after relationships. He is out after families. It is time to stop the fault-finding. It is not of the Spirit of God. It is of the wicked evil one. And you are aligning with the enemy every time you release those words. They are ungodly. They are impure. They have no place in our life. He seeks to bring irreparable schisms where there is unity. He masquerades it as discernment and it leaves you with a critical, judgmental spirit towards one another. We are to be alert. Romans 14, 19 says, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. God had an answer for what the enemy's plan is, and that answer is pursue for things that make for peace. If it isn't making for peace, if it's tearing apart what God is putting together, it's called disunity. The Lord promised that his house, that in his house, accusing one another will be 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 replaced with prayer and fault finding with love that covers a multitude of sin. My house will be called a house of prayer. Four places in the Bible. First Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sin. Are you walking in Christ in love and covering the sins of one another? Or have you been attacked by the fault finding spirit of the enemy? Sometimes God lets us see things in others so that we can pray for them. It's no accident when you become aware of that. But we misunderstand what it's about, and we begin to cut people down. We fall into the trap, and we are trapped when we can't walk out of it and even admit to it. We are trapped. What do we do? We pray. What we do with what we see is the measure of Christ-like maturity in us. What we do with what we see is the measure of Christ-like maturity in us. How mature are you? How much of Christ are you carrying? Do you need to pursue him more? You'll encounter tests to reveal where you are in maturing. He'll reveal what's in your heart by, by things that happen. Your, your reactions, you know how you respond, reveals your heart. Philippians 2, 7 to 8 says, when Jesus saw the condition of mankind, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Sometimes we have to die to self. We don't like to die to self because we like to be right. We want to do what we want to do. And if I do what I do and, and I don't, then I can't die to myself. 
Dying to self is a lot harder than doing what you want to do. The enemy makes it about others, what they've done or what they've said to us, but Christ makes it about us. The moment we start pointing at somebody else, you better start looking at your heart. You better realize that God is trying to do something in you because he's trying to conform you into the likeness of Christ. And we are so quick to want to blame somebody. I, I don't like excuses and I don't like the blame game because we can always come up with that. That it's about us. So there's something in there that we don't always understand what he's trying to do, but he's working on it. I went through, uh, from December through January, I was going through something. I knew it was God, didn't know what it was, and I just yielded, and I surrendered, and I let him do it. And, you know, it wasn't a big thing or anything like that, but he changed something in me. I don't understand it yet, but he did something within me because I said, okay, Lord, I know this is you. I just, I yield to you, whatever it is, whatever needs to be changed in me, do it. Walking out change isn't easy. It can hurt, but it's needed to move forward. Satan doesn't want us to move forward. He gets us to take our eyes off Jesus and to focus on the issues. Buying into lies. Psalms 53, 2 says, God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of man to see if there's anyone who understands or seeks after God. The Song of Solomon. I've been doing a study on the Song of Solomon for probably five, six months now in my study group. Absolutely love it. It's a beautiful love story of the bride and the groom. Talks about the Shulamite woman who is the bride, and she's been serving, and she's been doing things, but she's been out, and she, her skin's gotten dark, and, and she doesn't feel very pretty, but she doesn't know him, but she knows she loves him, but she doesn't know him, and, and they keep saying, well, just keep working, keep working, and one day, she take my face, she decides, well, I'm going to go meet this guy. I'm going to have a bigger encounter, and I'm mad living. This isn't exactly the story, but similar grounds on it. So she encounters Jesus. She falls deeply in love with him. He takes her to the banqueting room and they eat together and she's enjoying his presence and he's telling her how beautiful she is, how much he loves her. He's wooing her to the max. And then one day he says to her, come with me to the hills. Come with me to the mountains. Let's go do the work of the ministry. And she says, oh no, I'm comfortable here. I'm just gonna sit here. I'm not gonna go with you. And we pick up in Songs 3.1, when she said that, um, <laughs> the next thing she realizes, he withdrew his presence. And she says, on my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. She wanted that presence back. She had told him no. But now she realized she loved him more than that. Seeking God is born out of love. If you love God, you will seek him. He had withdrawn his presence when she said now, no. She now realizes she was wrong. You see, the silence of heaven, his presence withdrawn, often tells us more about what's living in us than when we are under open heavens. Don't we always pray for open heavens? Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. We do not pray for the silence of heaven to reveal what's in us. Seeking God is not a matter of discipline, but of desire. You may have found him at salvation, but then we 
are to continue to pursue him. It doesn't end when you are saved. That's why discipleship enters in. That's what marriage is. You begin to pursue the one you want to date and then you date them and you begin to pursue them more because you're falling in love and as you're falling in love all of a sudden you get engaged and you pursue them a little deeper because you realize oh my gosh I'm soon to be their bride and then pretty soon you get married as you're pursuing and you have become the bride but that doesn't mean that you stop pursuing when you get married pursuit has to continue if you don't continue to pursue him or your, the, your relationship, love begins to fade. And people wonder, what went wrong in my marriage? Are you pursuing that individual? We are to be pursuing Christ. It says that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Can I tell you that's a picture of pursuit of deep affectionate love there is no one that will ever love you more than him i have never encountered such a great love and i will never know a greater love all the days of my life on this earth until in eternity i am basking in the fullness of his love we hear what the problem is in revelation you left your first love never leave your first love that very feeling you felt for him in the beginning never lose it always pursue it love grows there is so much more to learn and know about jesus we don't have the capacity to understand his love fully but when we pursue him our capacity to understand begins to expand and we have greater knowledge greater revelation of that love of who he is and we fall so deeply in love with him we realize there is no turning back i only want more lord open the doors and give me more time with you there comes a time that love is uncontainable as you seek him the more you seek him the hungrier you get the thing that moves people most and causes them to want what you have is a heart that burns when was the last time that someone said to you I want what you have point three genuine love for God is an unrelenting hunger the secret place is hidden but it can be found by those who desire and search for it there's a story and if I remember right I think Pastor Aaron may have shared at one time about this young man who decided he wanted this old man to disciple him and so he went and he asked him and he says yes I will but first I'm gonna baptize you and so they walked to the river and they walked out to where it got a little bit deep the old man put his hand on his head and he pushed him down and he held him he wouldn't let him come back up and pretty soon the young man the disciple realized I'm gonna drown if I don't do something so he began to fight and he broke loose and he when he got up he says what in the world is wrong with you what did you think you were doing which the old man replied when you desire God as you desired air you shall find him God never intended for us to do his will without his presence many try the power to accomplish God's purpose comes from prayer and intimacy that's where we are replenished when we don't get replenished 
through prayer and intimacy, we find ourselves tired, burned out, frustrated, angry, depressed, and going through the motions. We need prayer and we need intimacy. You'll have time for everything you need to do if you give Him your time. The time you spend with Him determines your intimacy level with Him. It takes one to carry His presence, to fill His house. Can you imagine if one week, a hundred people who had been pursuing Him showed up filled with His presence because of prayer and intimacy? What could happen? You see, the love of God, which is going to come from prayer and intimacy, keeps us from legalism and the religious spirit. The fear of God keeps us from lawlessness and sin. The love of God and the fear of God are found in prayer and intimacy. Do you know Him from a distance? Or do you know Him intimately through His Word and His prayer? When you know Him intimately, you will seek Him just because you love Him. Intimacy with Him will change you, and it will change the world. We sang a song, and I want to have, we're going to play that. I want to do, we sing, we need a move. We are here for you. Do what you do. Set our hearts on you. We need a move. We need a move. But I want to tell you for that move to happen and be what God is calling it to be, it's going to take people that are willing to pray to move the hand of God, stretch it across this earth. If you are willing to be a part of the move that we sing about, and it's just not empty, idle words, I'm going to ask that you come forward. I'm going to ask that you flood this and say, yes, Lord, I am serious about those words I declared this morning. It's not just a song. It is my heart. My heart is burning for you. We need a move, Lord. Change me. Lord, draw me into an intimate place with you. Make me a world changer. Please join the Lord.